Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. Now, on this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now, Guam Human Rights Initiative, and the Military Women's Collective, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, as well as the big things are up to now, kicking a dent in the universe. And of course, we discuss some of the most critical issues facing veterans and their families today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. And now here's your host, U.S. Army veteran, Mary-Kate Saliba. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again today on Veteran Voices. I'm your host, Mary-Kate Saliba. And for those of you who are new uh, here on Veteran Voices, I love to be able to interview veterans who are continuing to serve beyond the uniform and giving back in some way, shape, or form. Our service doesn't end once we hang up the uniform. So really excited about today's special guest. But just a quick programming note, Veteran Voices is part of the Supply Chain Now family. You can get our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, so feel free to tune in. Um, we also have our YouTube channel as well. And Veteran Voices is in proud partnership as well with Military Women's Collective and the Guam Human Rights Initiative. And you can learn about both of those great organizations. A Military Women's Collective, shout out to Navy veteran and a dear friend of mine, veteran sister Marina Ravenek out of California at militarywomenscollective.org. And the Guam Human Rights Initiative, something, a cause near and dear to my heart, where we're defending human rights through research. And you can find more about them at guamhri.org. So without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. She is the COO of New Politics, but she is also a Navy veteran who served on active duty. And thank you so much for joining me today, Alicia Washkovitz. Thank you so much. Great job with the last name. I like to keep people on their toes and uh, excited to be here. Thank you. I would say the same thing about me for saliva. I can't tell you how many times people want to say saliva. And I was like, if you don't like her saliva or saliva me alone. So that's how I kind of tag on. So that's how you can remember how to say my last name. So I'm glad I got it on the first time go. So Alicia, I'm super excited to have you on Thank you so much. And I would love for folks, you know, to kick off Veteran Voices with a motivational quote to get us pumped up. So what do you got for us today? Oh, I thought about this motivational quote. I wish I had a motivational quote for you from like Thoreau or something. I have three, I'll call them catchphrases that I try and live by in my life. And two of them are from the Navy. So the first one is adapt and overcome. I feel like that's my day all day, every day. Also, I'm a mom. I've got two kids working all that, like everything every day is like adapt and overcome. We'll figure it out. The second one is one team, one fight, which I think a lot of that also relates to my work now at politics and also just life. Like we are all in this together. We're all on this planet together in family. Like we're all in this together. So I've got one team, one fight. And then the last one is just, you know what? At the end of the day, it'll be a great story. And that's something that I think similarly around kind of the adapt and overcome, whatever life throws at you, at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a great story. 
No, and I really loved that last one. I haven't heard anyone um, say that one as their favorite motivational quote, but I, it makes me think like when I actually hail from Guam and one of the things that I've often been told is being a good storyteller and the importance of storytelling. And so I really love that that last message there because we all have a story, right? And that's why I, I love being able to do veteran voices because I really get to dig deep into the backgrounds of everyone. Yeah. So- I mentioned about, I know you reside here in D.C. now, but you're also from Jersey, right? Yeah, Jersey girl. I can fist pump with both hands. <laughs> That's like, it's like for our listeners. Yeah, she totally just did a fist bump right there with you. So it's great because actually I have family in Jersey as well, more central Jersey. But I would love if you could take us back to where you grew up. So I grew up in South Jersey. It's interesting you say Central Jersey because I feel like there's only North and South. And then there's this like figment of our imagination that is Central Jersey. That's why I'm not from there, right? (laughs) Central Jersey, that doesn't exist. So I always, I used to say that I I grew up on the Jersey side of Philadelphia. But yeah, born and raised there. I still have a bunch of cousins that are over there. And then I was like the wacky cousin that joined the Navy and got out of New Jersey and ran around and saw the world. But Jersey was great. I did go to the Jersey Shore. I just took my kids there like a month ago. But you not have the, the reality TV show we're talking about. Not like, not the reality TV show. More more the beach and uh, playing in the waves. But <laughs> right. no, it's great great to grow up there. No, I I love that. And I guess with did you grow up in a small family? Do you have a pretty big family? So I have a big family in the sense of I had a lot of cousins. I am an only child. After about two weeks after I was born, my grandmother got really sick and then moved in with us. And my mom had said like she kind of had two people in diapers and like two people that needed a lot of work at the same time and just never wound up having another one. So I'm an only child. But my cousins are are truly like my siblings. I mean, we try and take like vacations together every year. Like, we're just a big, loud New Jersey family with the extended cousins, which is really nice. I love that so much. The big family. I don't know. And when I think of Jersey, I also think of having the extended families. That's kind of the same thing with mine, where my grandmother grew up on the same street as her cousins. And so she, they all grew up together. And it's like they had the neighborhood kids, but you almost couldn't tell one from the other. They all just like one big family. So yeah. I absolutely love that. Did you have, so I, I'm really curious about some of the the lessons learned or anecdotes. Does anything stick out to you from that I think, time? I think all the lessons learned and anecdotes are just that we were always there in our community and like our front door was always open. We were always involved. There were always random people at holidays and over our house. And I think that's part of how my parents raised me too, that there's always room at the table, very privileged that we always had, like there's always more food that we could share, but that we always had a warm, open home that anyone was in and out, whether it is the cousins or the family or the neighbors or someone random that my mom works with. And she was just always really involved in the community. She was a teacher and she had a like side hustle as a seamstress. My dad worked at the pharmacy and it was just, my dad kind of had this quote of, it's always better to live your life owing someone, like having other people owe you a favor. Not that you're running around collecting favors, like you're the mafia or something, but truly just living sort of your life of service. So that if you ever need anything in your life, you have a community there to support you because you've lived your life supporting a community. And I think that's just stuck with me kind of throughout my life. And uh, yeah. No, no. And like, well, I love what you said about just having enough food to essentially, you know, here's my plug in the saying army here, but you had enough to feed an army. 
just having that that table and having and I remember that we talked fondly, my sister and I, but just how we had our friends just go and ring the doorbell. Like nowadays, you got to give everybody notice that you're coming over. But it's like back then, you would just show up at people's houses, right? And it's or you just walk oh, yeah. in. It's kind of like a full house situation. You just coming on in. You help yourself to the fridge, join yep. us for supper. But I, I really love that. And I know we talked just briefly before we came on the episode about the midshipman photo behind you on the wall. And one of the things that I drew is that being a well-rounded person is something that's so important just to to be able to take that next step. So I'd love to hear your thought process. Do you recall the moment that you're like, I want to become a naval officer? Yeah, it's pretty wild. So no one in my family was in the military. My grandfather worked at yards in Philadelphia and I was a competitive swimmer. And there was like a good friend of mine that was a year older than me who was on my swim team with me wound up going to the Naval Academy. So that's when I first sort of even heard about it or knew what I didn't. I really, truly didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest. But I did. So she went and it seemed cool. And then there's a program called Summer Seminar. So the summer before your senior year of high school, you can spend a week at the Naval Academy. They put you in a squad. You're like running around doing some push-ups. You're like, they show you all the cool ocean labs and the wave pools and all the things. But the big thing for me during that week is like, I was in this squad for a week. And at the very end of the week after they did, you know, like they did some of the push-ups and running and a little bit of yelling, like an indoctrination. But at the end of the week, I was so close with this random squad of people from all over the country that I had never met before this week. This is also back in the days before social media, like we didn't have phones. We were like pen pals writing letters to each other. I truly couldn't imagine what it would be like after four years. So like, yes, there was kind of some of the pomp and the circumstance, but really the traditions around the camaraderie, it just had me hooked. I couldn't believe how close we were after a week. And just thinking about that experience after four years, I was all in. Honestly, my dad were like nervous, but I was like, I'm just going to go to the Naval Academy. It's going to be fine. Well, you try to be like, well, it's just school. But I was waiting for you to say something along the lines of like Top Gun hooked you. So I, no, I actually love that it wasn't Top Gun. I love that it was actually the camaraderie of the people that you met that week. Like, let's run around and do some push-ups. Let's yeah. and- <laughs> no, I had to watch Top Gun before I went to the Naval Academy. Every, if there's any Navy pilots listening right now, they're like probably appalled. I had to watch Top Gun before I went to the Naval Academy because I had heard they're going to grill you on, can you name all the call signs from Top Gun? And I didn't know them. So I had to learn them before I went. I was like, should I test you now? But no, I honestly, I love Top Gun, even the new one. <laughs> and I love that. What, and just out of curiosity, since you create such a strong bond with the folks from that week, did any of them also get an appointment? With two you. of them did. Yeah, two oh, of them did. Great. They wound up, you know, like in different companies. And like, we still stayed in touch over those four years. And I have a 20 year reunion coming up. So I'll, I'll probably see them there as well. So it was pretty cool. No, that's, re- that's really amazing. So your parents were just a bit of hesitant about you going, but I would say that Jersey, Maryland, not, not terribly far. It's not like oh. you would decide to go to the Air Force Academy on the other side of the country, you know, like, yeah. so just, I guess, Talk me through your plebe year. I really want to know, how how did that go for you? Well, that was an awakening. I mean, again, you know, so my parents, I was an only child and I was a girl, so they were nervous. 
But they got on board and then like truly embraced the entirety of my time at the Naval Academy and in the Navy. I mean, at one point, I think my dad bought the like anchors away car horn for football games. But the plebeian, he went all out. He went all out. He went out. I mean, plebeian was like, it was bananas. They have gunnery sergeants and you're doing rifle PT. My gunnery sergeant was, and I hope I could ever find him again somewhere in the world. His name was literally Gunnery Sergeant Slaughter. And he was the most terrifying man. But like, I know deep down he was like an amazing human. But you're doing rifle PT and it's really hot and you don't have AC and everybody's just... And your name's Slaughter. Yeah, like it's you're everyone's yelling at you, but you're there. Like this is where that one team, one fight comes in. Like you are there with the squad. You are trying to all just get through it and get through it together. And I don't know, come out stronger. All the cliches, but I believe it. It was truly one of the tougher things I've done in my life. But I would think to myself, you know, like think of all of the tens of thousands of people that have done this before you. If they can do it, you can do it. And just like do it with your team, do it with your squad get it done. It was bananas. The other weird fun thing for any women listening. So like there what you're doing your pushups and it's really hot and you've got your hair in your face as a female because they cut your hair like at your chin and you're right. not allowed to have hair ties or clips or anything. And so every time they pop us back up to attention, all the girls would real quick try and tuck their hair behind their ears because it's like sweaty and all over your face. And then there was some like master sergeant or some who knows that was like, that's so unprofessional when the girls were popping to attention and tucking their hair behind their ears. I know how we can fix this. We're not going to give them hair times. We're going to cut them all bangs. So then they line up all the girls into the barbershop. Bless all the barbers who have never really cut women's hair. And I, for those that are listening, can't see I've got somewhat curly hair. They like took a comb and essentially made a headband of hair, pulled it all forward in your face and then just cut it like an inch around framing your face. So you had these like inch long bangs. We all looked like lions. Like you had this like inch long sort of fluff and then this weird longer mane in the back. And it was so crazy. And I think back to that time of just like, who cares? Whatever's happening. It's adorable. They have no idea what to do with women in their hair. And they just cut us like inch long bangs, like a headband framing our face. But at least we're not tucking it behind our ears when we're popping up to attention. I can just only imagine. And what I, I love about you highlighting the fact of the experience you, that was unique for women, female midshipmen, is because the first class, graduating class of women from the academy is 1980, right? So right. It, it's like it wasn't, so even still, like you're at a you're there at a time where it hasn't been that long, still with it fairly recent. Those folks are still alive from the first class yeah. of the 80s. So, you know, it, yeah. to think of, like you said, God bless them for uh, figuring out how to, to cut a one inch bang. But it just goes to show about how they're still light years behind the rest of the force. So fast forward us to your shift selection, because, you know, I did get to see that you're, you went surface warfare. Yep. Correct. So talk me through that process of you're thinking there of, I want to be a swoop. I want to go swoop. I want to be a swoop. Top Gun again. Top Gun wasn't in the cards. No, I I actually did an aviation cruise and it was a lot of fun. But so I studied oceanography at the Naval Academy and they did have something called the Ocean Option, which I was able to earn. They just a few students that I, I happen to have really good grades. I worked really hard. And they picked a few students that you've got what was called an ocean option. So that meant when you graduated, 
you had to go unrestricted line first. So you had to go like SWO, pilot, sub. Well, you couldn't be on subs when I was there, but like nuclear SWO. But then after you earned your unrestricted line qualification, so like after you get your SWO pin, you could turn in your ocean option and it was an immediate lateral transfer to the restricted line. So when I was in the Navy, it's now information dominance. Back then it was called METOC. It was meteorology and oceanography. So I had that ocean option coming out of the Naval Academy and I did really want to do oceanography in the Navy. So I knew that if I went surface warfare, all I had to do was get my SWO pin and serve my time like through my SWO pin. But then I could drop the ocean option and have the immediate lateral transfer to the METOC community. So you ask about ship selection because it's so funny. I actually, I picked my ship and got my first choice. I was ranked pretty high in the class. But then I went to grad school. So I did the IJEP program, which is the Immediate Graduate Education Program. Everything has an acronym. And I was at Monterey. And then when I was at Monterey, I injured my knee and I needed surgery. And then when you go on duty, they like cancel your orders. So the orders that I worked all four years to try and get and have my first ship selection to be out of Japan got canceled because I had to go on limited duty for my knee surgery. But it all works out. It's always going to be a good story. Here we are. So I wound up on the USS Oak Hill out of Little Creek, Virginia. And I mean, truly can't say enough about the crew that were there. It was a bananas time. We were one of the first ships that were deploying with the Expeditionary Action Group for anti-human trafficking and anti-piracy. We were one of the first ships where they were like launching off the unmanned aerial vehicles that are like looking over Somalia to do the deterrence around piracy. It was, there was a lot of really cool things that, that I still got to do and had just truly remarkable people in my unit and, and on that ship. No, I, no, I love that you mentioned about how it, it all worked out because like you said, you have four years and getting a chance to pick, especially a cool assignment such as Japan. Um, <laughs> and then for that, for you to have to take a, a career pivot. And I'm always adamant to talk to the listeners about transitions, right? I think we, we talk so much about the transition from military to civilian life. But there's transitions that we go through throughout our time in uniform. And then even once we we hang up our uniform for the first time, we're still, we still go through transitions, right? I'm still a couple of years post-active duty and I still feel like I'm f- figuring it out as I go. So to know that you got to do something so cool. And I just had to do a plug there where you talked about human trafficking piracy, because one of the things that I'm doing right now in the, is the, the counter human trafficking stuff, but looking at it from a national security perspective instead of just human rights. So the fact that the Navy was on board and the USS Oak Hill was focused on that is really is pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And so I, I did that. I actually stayed longer as a SWO than I had. I got my SWO pin and I continued to serve as a SWO and didn't just drop my ocean option right away because I wanted to see I wanted to see the end of, of really that service on the ship. But then when my time was done on the Oak Hill, then I did sort of drop my papers to transfer to the METAC community. And I joined a new unit that had just been established for naval hydrography. So kind of like mapping out the bottom of the ocean, um, which was called Fleet Survey Team. And they were based out of the Stennis Space Center in Mississippi. And that was really cool because it was one of those things where there's all these fun jobs in the Navy that you don't necessarily see. In addition to being a pilot like Top Gun, I was riding around on jet skis with sonar buoys behind me and working with dive teams or the special boat team. Doing really cool things all around the world, like closer to in port. So I wasn't going out on big ships. I was going on like smaller ships and jet skis. And this geeky scientist that was still doing cool expeditionary things. 
So the Navy was paying you to ride around on jet skis all day long. That's yeah, yeah. Pretty or amazing. go diving in the Red Sea. Like, why not? <laughs> or diving. Gosh, that's really, really cool. I'd love this, to hear your thoughts during the time frame from the Oak Hill to UB on jet skis. Were there sort of the mentors that you had along the way? Was there anyone that you wanted to give a shout out that sort of took you under your wing? At that yeah, time. I, I mean, I'd have to give a, a shout out to now retired Captain Brian Conan and, and Dave Keene, who was the executive officer. He's still in the Navy right now, too. Truly, so they were my commanding officer and executive officer while I was at fleet survey team. I had just come from SWO, right? Like I'd just come from Circus yep. War. This was a new unit that they were establishing and really like a new unit just in the Navy and a, a new like service to the Navy and to foreign navies that we were working with. But I mean, I think, you know, like being a SWO is, is bananas and you're deploying and you're standing watch and this or whatever. And now here you're still deploying at fleet survey team, but like you're coming in and out of an office, you've got GSs, you've got civilians that you're working with and civilian scientists. And it was the really first time that not everyone came from maybe exactly the same background. You're like, when you're on a ship, like you're all on that ship together. You're mm -hmm. all deployed together. Everybody is in the Navy. No matter what your rank is, like you're all there eating the same food while you're underway and working towards the same goals. And when I was with fleet survey team, there were like civilians that had never been in the Navy and now they're working with the military or there's GSs and learning how to balance some of the like the stakeholders there ultimately really served me in my career once I got into nonprofit. Because it's not, you're not exactly just, not everyone is exactly following order. They don't have the right. exact chain of command. There's a lot more collaboration that you have to work with and figure out. And honestly, I'm so grateful to my CEO and XO at the time because I was a, I was always a person that was like involved and I would be the fun boss and I'd plan our holiday parties. And like, I just, that was naturally something that I love to do. I'd be involved. I got really upset because I didn't get to go on a survey to the Maldives, Maldives. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. I was supposed to go and I didn't get to go because we got pegged with an IG inspection. And the CEO asked me to give up that survey and stay behind and lead this IG inspection, which is really important. And I should have been grateful that I was the one selected to lead this inspection. But I was really bummed that I didn't get to go on this cool survey to paradise. And I kind of let my disgruntledness bleed out of just myself. And my COXO pulled me in the office and they were like, Alicia, you're contagious. All of us, like all of our outward sort of how we present ourselves and how we show up can be okay. contagious. Mm -hmm. And like, you need to get it together because you're kind of Debbie Downing the unit right now. And that was to have that direct feedback and to have them do it in such a way where they were really kind of calling me in, I really respected that. And I, and I also just realized too, like at that time I was still in 03, I was still only a lieutenant. Like there was plenty of other folks that outranked me, but that even just me in my position in the unit, that like how you show up in a space can be contagious for others. It was a really great moment that I obviously still think about because I'm chatting with you about it right now. Right. And it just makes me about every day, how am I showing up for my coworkers? How am I showing up for my family? And just really trying to kind of reconcile what you can and can't control and really make the best of whatever situation you. Because ultimately, that's going to be contagious to all the folks around you as well. 
You know, and what a great story of of, of lessons learned. And one of the things that I I really pulled from that was their ability to recognize your change in behavior, to know that you were that someone that was like the the bubbly one that did to just bring everybody together and really, like you said, that one team, one fight and really putting team at the forefront. And then they could see that you had taken a turn, that that they even took that chance to, to talk to you. I think it's just too easy to just be like, oh, maybe they're having a bad day. But the fact that they took the time to talk to you, he really just speaks volumes about them. Yeah. And I love that you you shouted that out because I think that's a lesson learned that applies to our listeners. I can definitely think of lessons where I, I can relate to that story as well. So I'd love to hear about your transition now. So you had your mentors along the way, took those lessons learned. How was the transition period for you? It was a nightmare. Um, <laughs> in one word, summed up, nightmare. At some point when I was serving with fleet survey team, I did serve a little bit longer than my actual commitment back to the Naval Academy. But there was a lot of things going on in my life. My parents' health wasn't so great. And I was kind of trying to take one too many, like, oh no, like mom's in the hospital again. And then I started to... The Navy does tend to put you in like a career path and all the things. But I started to think that there was maybe some more good that I could do for the world outside of the military than inside. Coupled with my parents' failing health, I decided to get out of the Navy in 2008 when the economy was crashing. Great decision, Alicia. And it honestly, it was tough. It was tough for me because I didn't know... One, I didn't even know you could work for a nonprofit as a career and get paid. I thought... Clearly, all nonprofits are just run by volunteers, but they're not. You can have a career in nonprofit. And I didn't have any real examples of people that transitioned out of the military that didn't do something that was like military adjacent, right? That wasn't. I definitely, I agree with you there. Yeah, it was like we automatically think, let's get in, become consultants. And I'm like, what does that even yeah. mean, become a consultant? And it's like, what do you do? Contracting, defense, Department of Defense contracting. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody clearly goes to work for booze or Raytheon. And I'm like, I don't even, well, one, I don't even know what a consultant is. Can someone just tell me what that job description says? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. consult what? I don't know what that means. I didn't know the difference between product management versus project management. My The first job I got out of the Navy, I literally went with one of those like headhunters that just kind of places, JOs places. And I was working for like a small executive search firm in San Francisco that was doing clean tech, green tech stuff. And I was really excited about that. I mean, honestly, it became though a little bit more about just like making the money and and all. And I was like, this is not what I thought I got signed up for. And I didn't know. I didn't know what I was. I didn't know anything. In my tap class at one point, the professor was telling the whole class that you shouldn't put your leadership experience on your resume because it'll intimidate employers. I'm like, I don't think that sounds right. It was just a rough transition. But during that time I was in San Francisco, I learned that you could work for nonprofit and that could be your career. And to me, that mission focus and that drive of a mission, that's what was really getting me out of bed every single day. And like not just reading cash register and having billable hours. So I sort of hunted down nonprofits and again, because it's it was tough. And I think it's tough today. This is actually something I'm reasonably passionate about for folks to transition that want to continue to serve in something that maybe isn't military adjacent, 
it's tough. Like it's tough to break into the nonprofit world or into the you know public service sector for something that's not like military light. But I found the Sierra Club had a military and families program. And I just truly hunted them down. I was like, I want to work for you. Please hire me. I literally was in the military, <laughs> the military family program. Please yeah. hire me. And they finally did. Like I interviewed for a job or two that they didn't hire me. And then they finally did. And they still at first were like, I don't know what to do with you. You were in the Navy. I'm like, but this is a military program. It's just a beautiful so program. Dumb. Yeah. You're in the Navy, so we don't know what to do with you. <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. You're so uh, much more than that. You know what I mean? People like recruiters, <laughs> we're so much more than just the branch of service. <laughs> so the yeah, stereotypes yeah. aside. But but that, I'd love to ask you about that. Like, yeah, the, the lessons learned there, because you just touched on some great points for those transitioning. But if, if you were to stand in front of a room of transitioning service members now, like what advice would you give them, especially those wanting to step into the nonprofit space? I would tell them to continue to try to break into whatever the field is that you want to, whether or not it is military adjacent. And for anyone out there that's listening, that's hiring. I mean, I think there's a lot more support now for like how you can write up a good resume or talk about your experiences in the military and how they can be really useful and complementary, especially to nonprofit or in the public service sector or politics, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here soon, that you have amazing skills that are so needed in those spaces. And so just learning how to talk about those skills, like for me, breaking into nonprofit, I was working with a bunch of truly brilliant, compassionate folks that honestly just had a hard time moving things forward. And if you go back, talked about, you mentioned Air Force Academy. I think OODA Loop came from Air Force or was it Marine Corps? I don't know. OODA Loop, you learn about it in the military, right? Observe, orient, decide, actually loop all the way back around. We've been trained to see all the moving pieces, make a decision and just continue to move things forward. And my opinion, across the board in, in nonprofit, that's just not a skill that's really developed a ton and that exists in and around nonprofit. There's a lot of advocacy. There's a lot of community building, but someone to truly be moving things forward and making decisions and continuing to get that mission focus accomplished is a huge skill for folks that have experience in the military to bring to the table in any type of organization or work that is service oriented. Because we know that there's a, a greater mission and we can see like the different steps and we can make decisions, even if we don't have all the information right in front of us, because we spent years having to do that. Like you're out on a ship, you're deployed, you only have so many tools at your disposal. You have to keep moving things forward. It's a really important skill in the public service or the nonprofit sector. You know, and, I, and I think it, it's just such a natural alignment. It's like, we think in the military, there's a natural alignment to get into consultancy or go work for booze or become contractors. But I think there is a natural fit and alignment with the nonprofit space. And I know like during my transition, when I realized I want to get into the counter human trafficking space, even if it was in a volunteer capacity, I'm a big advocate of volunteering while you're still serving. Yes. And I, I think we take that for granted because we're like, oh gosh, any free time that we have we're going to spend it with the family. And I get that. But I think there's a lot of value in getting those extra skills that's outside of our comfort zone. It's outside, And it's really sparking that passion within us. And it doesn't even have to be veteran service organizations, right? It could be animal welfare, 
or yeah. getting involved in something completely different that coaching little leagues, you know, and just volunteering your time, but then supporting a nonprofit that helps them. I spoke to a Marine, one of our other guests, Brian Russell, he helps the youth on cycling, right? On bikes. So it's just really great to hear that your perspective. And I think going back now to think of your time growing up, I think it was innately in you all along that service above self, but really rallying people together, which is you sort of need that in a nonprofit space because there's not the money's not always going to be there in some cases, right? And it's it can bog you down when you're trying to really go after what you want, what the mission is for that nonprofit. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts of the nonprofit space is huge. It, it encompasses so many different initiatives and, and great acts. What got you to choose the route that you did towards new politics? Yeah. So initially, when I started with the Sierra Club, I was drawn because I really believe in like I, I grew up in a house where my dad was a like NRA card carrying hunter and my mom was a teacher's union, you know, like sort of liberal in this conservative liberal household. And it was still a household filled with a lot of love. Um, but you know, my dad cared about the environment and because you needed like clean water to go fishing and you needed places to hunt Bambi, uh, which is fine. And I always cared about the environment as well. And that's when I first got out of the military. I was, I was super into the environment and protecting our forests and our national parks and these places to explore. I mean, I found myself in my transition when it was really difficult, like just spending time outdoors just was really like calming and good for my soul. So then it became really important for me to protect these places where I'd go backpacking and just feel kind of refreshed. And so that's how I started with the Sierra Club. And I was there for quite some time. And again, to anyone listening, I kind of skyrocketed through the Sierra Club, I think, because I brought these skills to the table that I learned in the military that were just not super common in the world of nonprofit. But then things were changing, like elections were happening. And I felt like I saw this country really starting to become divided. And it made me think back. It made me think back to my time in the military where I might not even 100% know which way any person in my unit landed on the political spectrum, but they, we were all great people working together that had courage and integrity and empathy. And I started to think about truly what would this country look like if more people like that were serving in office. So kind of serendipitously, I actually got a call from a recruiter about the job at the New Politics. And after talking to them, it was like, this is everything I could ever want it to be. Because new politics up and down the ballot, whether someone's just serving on their local school board or their city council here in D.C., we have volunteer roles that are the advisory neighborhood commissioner, which oftentimes they go unopposed. And right. those type roles, they're not necessarily like Republican, Democrat, pick a party, pick a side. They're just roles to serve your communities, whether you're just helping local businesses or approving liquor licenses it just I mean, it's truly just a role to help your community. Just thinking about up and down the ballot, having people in those positions that are grounded in their courage and in their integrity, that want to serve their communities and their country over themselves or money or a specific political party, like how beautiful would that be? And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be happier here at New Politics and I couldn't be more connected to the mission we serve folks up and down the ballot, whether they're running for Congress or going to sit in the Senate. 
or they're in a super local, hyper local position. And so we're, we're truly just recruiting and developing and then helping folks get elected on both sides of the fence. Folks that care about their communities and care about their country first and foremost. And I think about like the folks in my life. I have a good friend, Mike, if he's listening, I'm actually going to tell him to listen to this because now I'm going to call him yeah. out. <laughs> Mike, I have some feelings about some policies and things like that. And I know Mike has some different feelings about them. But like, I also know that Mike is an amazing human. He's a Navy pilot and he's a Navy helicopter pilot. He loves his country. And I would vote for him because I know that as an individual, he's driven by his integrity and he has empathy and he cares. And like, he's someone I would vote for. And so whether we might be on different sides of a political spectrum, just giving these real servant leaders into office, that's how I really think we can revitalize our democracy and just continue to bring our country together because people will do the work and work together and and really care about their community, not their own self-interest or like money or fame or something like that. So, I mean, just thinking about, I've got two girls growing up in this country. I love this country. I, I, there's nothing else I would want to be doing than, than working with new politics right now. And, and it's so cool to be involved with individuals that once they, they do take the seat, it's like you're part of that journey to where they're making huge impacts and really making waves happen. And I'd love, do you happen to, to have a story offhand of, of somebody that you all were able to, to help through that journey? Well, I mean, I think there's a million stories, but honestly, I, the, really the story I would tell would be how we, we don't just stop there once they get into office. Ooh, so yes, I mean, tell me more. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, the, the whole theory of change for new politics is that like we're recruiting folks, one, to just even run. Because the people that, like myself, there's so many folks out there that if you didn't grow up and pick a popular political last name family that's like a dynasty, you have no idea how to even break into politics or what even options are available. Or coming out of the military, why would I ever think I'd be in any type of elected office? Who even knows how to do that? So we are truly just recruiting people to just try and even demystify what would it even mean to run for something and just let folks know of the multitude of options out there of this way to kind of serve again, this sort of like second service and how you can serve through politics. And it doesn't have to necessarily be running for something. Like you can volunteer or work on a campaign. Again, coming out of the military, I didn't realize like, oh, people have careers where they're actually working on campaigns and maybe they're the logistics person on the campaign. Like you don't have to be an actual campaign strategist. You can be the finance person or the logistics person. Or like the person that's helping knock on doors and talk to the community. So we're truly recruiting people to just think within themselves, are they called to continue to serve? And could they do that through politics? And then we give them a free advisor. So like we raise money so that we can take the money out of the equation when working with our candidates on both sides of the fence. So we are unbiased advisors that we are there with them. They can call us, text us. We work hand in hand through their campaign. And then after they get elected, like we don't stop there. We're not just going to throw an endorsement up on our website. We continue to have programming and support for them as they're hiring or building out their staff or as they're stepping into this new place and office where now they're learning how like how are you negotiating and collaborating on bills or things like that? 
So we don't stop there because like we really believe as we are recruiting folks to then kind of throw their hat in the ring or just dip their toe into the political arena that like we want to be your buddy the whole way. Like we're, we're there, come win, come lose. What are the next steps for you? We're not just trying to throw a sticker on folks to say, oh, hey, we adore, endorse you. You're like a great person. Good luck and congratulations, you won. We're really trying to be your partner through the whole cycle. That, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that because it, it's not something like you, you put them on the bus and say, good luck. Here, yeah, here's yeah. a bag of some tools for you. And hopefully it works out for you. But you're actually like taking that journey on the bus with them. Yeah. I'm just thinking of uh, my poor analogy there. But that's, that's how I'm visualizing it is that you're with them. And and for our listeners who don't know much about new politics, is it focused only on veterans? Is it focused on the, the military family as well? Who do you focus on as far as great, that? Great question. So I like to say we focus on servant leaders and like you're like, but what's a servant leader? Great question as well. You're sort of like the easy. What is a servant leader? Well, it's someone that served their community or their country before. And then we're obviously asking them to serve again. So you have military veterans, the military community, AmeriCorps, Peace Corps. But then as you really think of who are other service professionals, folks that are frontline workers in their community, teachers, folks that in some way have decided they're serving the kids in their community by being a teacher, the citizens in their community because they're a frontline worker, a nurse, like, uh, hello, all the nurses out there through this pandemic and just at any time. Like these are the folks that are waking up every single day and maybe not making the biggest paycheck in the entire world that are driven to continue to serve in their career. And we're asking them if they're looking to transition or they're looking for another opportunity to serve, to do it through politics. So I like to say servant leaders. And that just means any folks that are really serving their communities and their countries already. And we're just seeing them to serve again in this new way in politics. No, I think that's fantastic because Again, that just encompasses what we do here as well is just that service above self, somebody that's continuing to serve and somebody that's still serving, but not in the way that we think of it. Because I even was thinking about law enforcement and like our ah. firefighting community, right? So like people that are putting themselves in harm's way because it's about the, the people that they're helping more, like you said, than the paycheck, than the titles. It's about innately at the core of what they're doing for the greater good. So I absolutely love that. So I was so excited to to bring you on Veteran Voices. And I would love if there is any sort of thoughts as we wrap up here, as far as what you'd like to, sh to share with folks, how can people get involved? How can they help the your mission, New Politics mission? For sure. You can go to our website. It's politics.org. If you Google New Politics, some like cool indie band might also pop up. That's not us. That's That's now, now I'm going to dust this up. I know you should test. I feel like one day I should find this Indian and take all of our staff to one of their concerts or something. Your which, own shirts, right? Yeah, your swag. Yeah, no. Go to newpolitics.org. Obviously, you can sign up. See, there's like forms that you can fill out if you want more information. I'll share my email right. Like, if anyone wants to email me, I'm Alicia A L I C I A at newpolitics.org. Um, shoot me an email. I mean, we have programming. We have ways that you can volunteer. We have partner organizations that we can help connect you with. If you know someone in your life and you're like, you know what? That person would really be amazing on a school board. 
Or like that person would just be like really super amazing. And it doesn't have to be tomorrow. It doesn't have to be next year. Like, again, we're in this for the long game. So if you're thinking to yourself like, hey, I'm going to be retiring from the military or transitioning out of the military five years from now, 10 years from now, we still want to get to know you because we want to help you understand what would it look like if you chose to dip your toe into the political arena? What would you do now to start preparing for that? What conversations would you have? Who could we introduce you to? What other courses could you take to learn and understand more and do a lot of like the internal work to decide, is this something you would want to do? And if the answer winds up being yes, amazing. We're there with you every step of the way. If the answer is no, and you know someone else that you would want to nominate or you just want to get involved or volunteer on campaigns or work on election day and be a poll worker, we're there to help support all of that because we really continue to believe that this is how we revitalize our democracy. And so email me, go on our website, get involved. We're here. We're not going anywhere. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I, and I I actually I really love this because you're bringing people to see if they want to touch their put their toe into the the political arena, but but on both sides. So with so many issues, you know, they they're able to push forward because we want what's best for the American people, for our communities. So being able to reach across the aisle and work with other folks, that's why I love because I and just guessing that in addition to helping out that individual, you're, they're also broadening their network even within the new politics sphere of you all's network. So it's, they're not just coming to you all with assigned one-on-one. It's like now they, they've just created a whole network of, of, of a support system on both sides of the aisle to help them get where they want to go. So I, I really love that, encouraging our listeners to reach out to you absolutely and to your amazing team. If there's, did you have any, anything else that you wanted to throw out there before? I, close I, don't, out? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I was I, like, I, I always got to like ask you something. Be like, Wait, Kate, I got one more thing to say. <laughs> Last words. But no, this isn't the end, Alicia. And I've absolutely loved hearing about your journey and you're always welcome here in Veteran Voices. If anything else new or you all have some up and coming things coming on, I'd love to be able to host you again and even your team. So thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you. This is, I feel like I could talk to you forever. So <laughs> I love this. I was like, gosh, I want to dive deeper into the jet skiing there. Now I, and I choose the wrong branch or what? So well, I gotta, I was waiting for the go Navy beat army, go army beat Navy plug there, but thank you listeners uh, for joining us today on veteran voices, whether it's your first time or you're returning, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, you can tune in to Veteran Voices wherever you get your podcast, part of the Supply Chain Now family of broadcasting and in proud partnership with the Military Women's Collective and the Guam Human Rights Initiative. You can learn more about Military Women's Collective at militarywomenscollective.org and about the Guam Human Rights Initiative at guamhri.org. And again, thank you so much, Alicia and New Politics for joining us today. And again, pay it forward, do good and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you all next time.